Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a word of caution about measles and international travel. Comedy legend Bob Newhart comes to Minnesota and Vikings training camp. But first... The race for president, the first Somali-American elected to Congress, and gray wolves are all in this week's interesting mix on the political radar screen. MNN's Bill Werner is here to tell us about it. Scott, all politicalized this week. We're on Miami, Florida, where 20, count them, 20 contenders for the Democratic Party's nomination squared off over two nights in the first presidential debate. Sharp differences over health care between Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar and her rivals. Klobuchar arguing keep private insurance, but also offer a government health care plan. I am just simply concerned about kicking uh, half of America off of their health insurance in four years. But Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren supports Medicare for all. There are a lot of politicians who say, oh, it's just not possible. We just can't do it. What they're really telling you is they just won't fight for it. But former Maryland Congressman John Delaney backed up Klobuchar. I think we should be the party that keeps what's working and fixes what's broken. Klobuchar took a moderate stance on immigration as one rival, former HUD Secretary Julian Castro, argued it should no longer be a crime to illegally cross the border. Not to criminalize desperation. They use that law to justify under the law separating little Thank children you. from their families. Klobuchar responded. Immigrants, they do not diminish America. They are America. Um, and I am happy to look at his proposal, but I do think you want to make sure that you have provisions in place that allow you to go after traffickers and allow you to go after people um, who are uh, violating the law. Klobuchar's performance in Wednesday night's debate not getting very good marks from top political analyst David Schultz of Hamlin University. Schultz says Klobuchar's statements were too tentative to attract liberal Democrats and likely did not show enough conviction to gain support from moderates either. She needed to carve a distinct space for herself to come out of this and say, all right, on this first night, I am now the the centrist candidate of choice or the centrist alternative. She didn't do that. Schultz predicts it will become more difficult for Klobuchar to continue her campaign. Given the fact she didn't do as well as others, some of the money, some of the support now starts to go to people who are perceived as, as what, the winners. Schultz says he's not sure what options Klobuchar has to turn things around for her campaign. Also this week, Brainerd was the spot as the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service held the only public hearing on that agency's plan to take the gray wolf off the endangered species list in the lower 48 states. Hundreds on both sides of the issue turned out. Colette Adkins with the Center for Biological Diversity said while the wolf population is improving, there's still plenty more work to be done. Atkins argues the evidence comes from when Minnesota had several wolf hunting seasons before the animal was returned to the endangered species list. What we saw with the first wolf hunt, however, is that the population in Minnesota plummeted by more than 25%, and those populations have just barely gotten back to those pre-hunt levels. And we don't want wolf recovery to come to a halt 
by removing federal protections. But State Representative Nathan Nelson from Hinckley says he needs more leeway to protect livestock on his farm. Just this last week, we've lost four four calves to wolves, and you know it's it hurts. You know the the ag economy is struggling, and then then you take a loss on top of that, and it's you know that's not easy to take. Sandra Skinaway with the Sandy Lake Band of Mississippi Chippewa says while she feels for farmers who've lost livestock, wolves are only responsible for a small portion of the kills. What the wolf takes is like 1% out of the whole population, which is over 400,000, you know, livestock in this Minnesota alone. Skinaway adds... That's nothing compared to other cattle losses, you know, due to natural causes, due to other predators due to disease. But Representative Brian Johnson from Castle Rock says it's not only livestock farmers who are affected. He says he's also heard from many constituents who have lost pets to wolves. I know it's a controversial issue. Uh, we got people, even in my area, that uh, think the wolves should be able to run free and do whatever they want. But unfortunately, we need to manage them the correct way. And right now there is no management of the wolf, and we need to start managing it. As we mentioned at the outset, this was the only hearing the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service held on their plan to delist the gray wolf. Dr. Maureen Hackett with the group Howling for Wolves says about that. I think they're just doing it as uh, an obligatory hearing. Uh, we find that these hearings rarely make a, you know, seem to make a difference. They did this this routine back in 2013 when they uh, proposed to delist wolves in the lower 48. There were some hearings, and uh, then they dropped it. So maybe it helped. Maybe the opposition at the hearings helped because they did drop it. But I think in part they dropped it because of the, the lawsuit about the Great Lakes wolves and that delisting maybe discourage them from delisting in the whole lower 48. A final decision on whether the gray wolf will remain on the endangered species list will come after the public comment period closes July 15th. The deadline for a decision is March of 2020. Republican State Representative Steve Draskowski from Mazeppa this week asked 2nd District Congresswoman Angie Craig to open a U.S. House ethics investigation of fellow Democrat Ilhan Omar. Draskowski points to allegations against 5th District Congresswoman Omar of tax and immigration fraud, student loan fraud, perjury, and bigamy, and says if Omar broke the law multiple times in the past... How does she follow the law that says, as a member of the U.S. House of Representatives on the Foreign Affairs Committee, this information has to stay with you and you only, and if you share it with anyone, it's a crime. Draskowski also wants Omar's security clearance revoked and says... I've heard from Democrat colleagues in the House uh, that are thanking me for my efforts to pursue this because they have the same concerns I do. I want you to know that. I'm not going to name names. Omar did not comment, but Congresswoman Craig called Draskowski's request a political stunt, adding, quote, the people I talk to want me to focus on reducing the price of health care and prescription drugs, and that's exactly what I'm doing. Unquote, Congresswoman Angie Craig. Scott, thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier hound chihuahua looking kind of mix. 
tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle, simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. If you're planning to travel internationally this summer, health officials encourage you to double-check and make sure you and your family are up to date with your measles vaccination. MNN's Tasha Radel explains why. While there have been no cases of measles reported here in Minnesota, an outbreak continues. In fact, this year's measles outbreak is the largest since the 1990s, according to the Centers for Disease Control. Joining me now to talk about the MMR vaccination is Lynn Bada with the Minnesota Department of Health. Welcome. Yes, and thank, thank you for being a messenger for that. Um, we what we do know is that most of the measles cases we've been seeing in the U.S. U.S. over the last couple of decades have really resulted from international travel. And usually, what happens is um, an unvaccinated person is traveling, gets infected, and then brings it back into the country. And so, we're recommending that um, anyone 12 months of age and older who's traveling internationally make sure that they've got documentation of two doses of MMR vaccine, and MMR stands for measles, mumps, and rubella. Um, And then we also recommend that um, babies 6 6 to 12 months have a dose of MMR. um, The parent should consider that a traveling vaccine, um, and they're going to need their routine doses when they turn one and again for their kindergarten booster. And, you know, can you tell us a little bit, um, you know, is it fair to say that measles is a highly contagious disease? One of the most infectious. And, and um, how is this, t- yeah, how is this spread? Yeah, it's a, it's a tiny virus, and it's spread um, when a person is breathing or coughing or sneezing when they're sick with measles. And that tiny virus um, likes to kind of hang itself in the air, so it stays in the air for much longer than some of the other um, germs that we we might have, like a flu virus is a little bit heavier, so it it drops down and isn't doesn't dwell in the air where other people can breathe it. So um, it it can carry um, in a room and. A person can sneeze, and then with if they're they're sick with measles, and another person can walk in the room within that next two hours. And um, if they haven't been vaccinated, or if the vaccine didn't work, or if they've got some other issue um, where their immune system um, is weakened, they could breathe that in and then get infected themselves. Well, those are some of the questions that I had today, Lynn. Was there anything else that you wanted to add? Well, I think it's the the most important is for us to remember that um, measles anywhere where in the world is a danger to all of us that because it is just a plane right away, and um, so we do want to make sure that everyone's up to date on their MMR vaccine. 
even those who aren't traveling internationally, um, because these the high vaccination rates are going to protect our community. Thanks again to my guest, Lynn Bada with the Minnesota Department of Health. For more information on measles and the MMR vaccination, you can head to the Department of Health's website at health.state.mn.us. Again, that web address, health.state.mn.us. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Bob Newhart is a comedy icon. His decades-long run of successes started in 1960 with the Grammy-winning stand-up album The Button-Down Mind of Bob Newhart and continued through two hugely successful TV shows in the 70s and 80s, The Bob Newhart Show and Newhart. I recently chatted with Bob ahead of his appearance at the Orpheum Theater as part of the first-ever Minneapolis Comedy Festival. You've been making people laugh professionally for around 60 years. <laughs> and I'm curious, what what goes through your mind when you get those first few laughs each night when you're in front of an audience? Well, you know, it 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 takes... I mean, I, I get people write and they say, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, people think I'm funny and I want to... I want to be a stand-up comic, and uh, invariably, the, uh, my advice to them is: is to whenever you get a chance to do it, do it, because there's no place else to learn it. Uh, there's no book that's going to tell you how to do it. You you have to do it in front of an audience and and find out why why it worked and why why it didn't work. When I go out on the stage, I have probably Oh, four or five different, what I would call signposts that uh, that kind of tell me what an audience is like, and and that's just something you learn by doing it. Um, you, you know, you you say, okay, okay, I I know this kind of audience. This is I'm gonna have to slow it down a little bit <laughs> and uh, take more time, and then and then you say, oh, oh this audience, they're hip, okay. <laughs> Uh, they're like almost ahead of you, so so you work differently to different audiences, and and the only place to learn that is is to is to do it on stage. I, I mean, I in my case, I did, I did it backwards. I had a, a a hit comedy album, and and then I had to learn the craft of stand up uh, from the top. You know, not from. I mean, the traditional uh, story is, is uh, you work clubs, and then you get work better clubs, and then you work better clubs, and and you put in twenty years, and uh, so I, I had to I had to kind of learn it backwards. I had to learn it. I had to learn the craft of stand up, and the, and the real, the real the, the art of stand up to me uh, is. When you've done something maybe a thousand times, but it's something the audience wants to hear, and 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 you from your years of experience, you uh, you say, oh, okay, okay, this is a, a Sir Walter Raleigh audience, um, and 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 that's uh, that's the art of it. You, I mean, you've done it maybe a thousand times, maybe ten thousand times. 
but then you have a responsibility to do it as well as you possibly can do it. You you have to try to make it appear that it's the first time you're doing it, uh, and that that's what I call the art the art of doing of stand up. And you you have such a distinct comedic voice and style. I'm wondering, have you had to to reshape or or redevelop that style with changing audiences and shorter attention spans over the course of your career? I hate to think about it. (laughs) 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 I I don't. uh, I don't know. I I mean, uh, it's a good question. Would it still work? well, I have some indications because you know they still played the first album and it it still seems to work. So that's an indication that it, that it would work. Uh, the, the other indication would be that you'd have to speed it up more than you did then. So it, it would be different. And and the, and again, I stress that the, the only way to learn it is, is on stage. You, you you can't you can't learn it somewhere else. You know, like every other comedian, I've died. I mean, I've gone out and and nothing. You know, uh, you you could hear the air conditioning. You know, <laughs> um, and and uh, but but that's part of it. And you know that okay, it is like a, a boxer. If you're in a boxing match, you're going to get hit. Okay, right. <laughs> that's that's a given. <laughs> So that's what you go in doing. You're okay, and there and there are going to be nights when the audience just you're not there. They're kind of comic, and you're going to you know I I don't know any any comedian I've ever talked to that that hasn't had at least one if if not a couple hundred times in in his career just of uh, it not working, and you and you got to you have to accept that. My understanding is that Minneapolis was a, one of the first spots in the country where you had sort of seen a spike in your success once you were starting out. Is that true? Oh yeah, that's definitely true. It, I, I I got this um, recording contract for Warner with Warner Brothers Records, and and uh, they, they wanted to record a, a comedy album, and uh, so I made that, and I think it was. February of 1960, and and I was waiting for the album to come out, and it was like I would think maybe April of 1960. So I finally I called up Warner Brothers and I said, uh, you know, whatever happened to my album? I, I made that comedy album, and I haven't 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 heard anything about it because friends of mine were saying, what what happened to that album you made? And uh, and I, t- I talked to someone at Warner Brothers and. And they said, "Well, it's going crazy in Minneapolis. <laughs> that, uh, there are two disc jockeys there, uh, Howard Vikings, one, and, and they mentioned another, another guy. And uh, he said they they just play it all the time. Uh, in fact, as a matter of fact, in the papers, the newspapers, they put in the uh, driving instructor will be on at five thirty, and again at eight thirty, and you can hear the submarine commander." At noon, and again at 3:45, <laughs> and they said every pressing we weren't prepared for this. And every pressing we make, we we send immediately to uh, to uh, to Minneapolis. So yes, it was very definitely a, uh, the, the first indication that that maybe the album was going to be well received. 
Uh, we're very much looking forward to having you performing here in Minneapolis. And I just have to say, on a personal level, I'm, I'm so grateful that I got to be on the other end of the line with the man who made an art out of phone conversations. It's, it, <laughs> truly, it's a big thrill for me, and I thank you for the opportunity. Oh, thank you, Scott. I enjoyed it. You can hear my full interview with comic legend Bob Newhart at minnesotanewsnetwork.com. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast, F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. F-A-S-T, face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother... Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As the month of June wraps up, football fans eagerly await the month of July, which means the start of NFL training camp. The Minnesota Vikings rookies will report to camp on July 22nd, with veterans reporting three days later. A string of 52 straight years in Mankato ended last year when the team chose to host training camp at its new state-of-the-art multi-million dollar facility in Egan. The Vikings say the new facility and its amenities allowed more fans to watch practices in a more efficient and convenient manner. Once again, fans will have the chance to watch practice sessions this year, but there are specific methods and a protocol to follow to get tickets, which are on sale now. MNN's J.W. Cox spoke with Viking spokesman Jeff Anderson to give us all the details about the approaching Vikings training camp. Yeah, this is always an exciting time of year, you know, because it sort of makes it real that, that another season is, is coming up here. But um, so we're excited to get, get uh, camp details out there, and we'll release 4,000 free tickets for every day of camp. Uh, another 1,000 tickets uh, will be reserved seats that start at $15. So, you know, our, one of our goals with camp is always to make it a very family-friendly, affordable uh, uh, event, and, and um, that's an important initiative from our ownership, and um, that continues uh, here in year two in Egan, so we're excited with, with the ticket reservation process. Those That was the same way things kind of worked last year. Are those the same numbers as far as number of free tickets versus paid tickets, and, and why did you settle in on, on those types of kind of benchmarks for those? Yeah, we, um, you know, it's the same uh, – capacity we want to keep it at around 5000 uh fans a day uh it's the same as last year 4000 free tickets 1000 uh reserved seats we know there's an element of our fans that that want to know their seat is guaranteed and so that's why we offer those those reserved seats and we just feel really good about the number at 5000 last year we had around 63 64000 fans attend over the over the duration of camp we think that number um can can be uh even higher and so we're, we're, we will likely release even more tickets into the market as we get a little closer to camp because one of the things that comes with free tickets is we, we know there will be a number of no-shows, uh, and so we want to make sure that we fill those stands on a daily basis. 
Uh, let's shift over to, to training camp in general right now because you, you released uh, some of the key dates and things like that as well from a fan standpoint. Year number two, as you mentioned, what's different? What can people expect? What did you learn about how things went in year one in Egan versus what, what people might see in year two? Yeah, you know, we really went into into year one um, with really three goals. It was creating a seamless process for our players, coaches, and football staff and give them the best environment to prepare for the season. The second was to give fans an opportunity to see the team for free and provide a tremendous fan experience. And the third was just to have a positive impact on the neighboring businesses and communities. And we really felt like we did that in year one. Certainly there were some, you know, just very minor hiccups, but overall it was an incredible experience for fans. So we didn't want to go too far um, different, uh, you know, from that approach, but we we, uh, wanted to tweak a few things. We added some, some new fan uh, activation elements every day. We'll have the helmet hike now. It'll be a select group of children. We'll get to carry the play, you know a group of players' helmets from the locker room to the practice fields and and then receive a photo with that player. We're going to have a Vikings house uh, and a Vikings arcade, so fans have an opportunity to enter a climate-controlled space and play some video games. and And we'll have food and beverage items there. Um, one of the big changes we're doing this year is uh, we're moving to the daily autograph sessions will be at the end of the day at 4.30 now, and they will be for kids 18 and under, under only. And, you know, certainly we value all of our fans, but we really felt this was an opportunity to highlight those young, our youngest fans and create a really special opportunity uh, for them. If we have all 90 players sign 150 autographs as we have in the past, that's over 13,000 kids that, that have the opportunity to get an autograph, and we think that's that's pretty important. As far as logistically how things went in year number one, any changes to parking or anything like that or reminders about parking and some of the access uh, things that people will need to know if they're planning their trip to training camp? Yeah, similar to 2018, uh, the digital parking passes will be $10 a piece, and those those passes can be purchased when fans are reserving tickets online. Uh, one change this year, last year we didn't allow um, day of parking. Um, you know, just from a logistics standpoint, we, we didn't want the backups um, on the site. But um, so for this year, uh, we're going to ask fans who don't reserve parking in advance to pay $20 upon day of arrival. So we're really trying to push that, you know, purchase that parking in advance. It makes your, your process that much uh, more efficient on the day of. And then we'll have a ride share drop off and, and pickups that'll be in the southwest corner of our of our parking lot. That's a much closer drop off than than it was last year. Uh, we'll continue to have ADA parking and and those things on site as well. So not a lot of changes there. Um, you know, as the site out here, Viking Lakes continues to be developed. The parking uh, situation will evolve over the years, but um, for for year two, it's pretty consistent. And then finally, Jeff, you touched on this a little bit, but, I mean, we'll be next week just about a month away from that first padded practice on July 26th. When you get to put this release out and you get to have some of these conversations, what what excites you the most about looking forward to training camp and getting into this time of year? I think just the energy level. I mean, every year, I mean, there's this there's a lull here around the 4th of July, and, and then when we come back um, into the office after the 4th of July, it's it's all hands on deck. You know a season is – is right around the corner. You know, fans are getting excited. They get to see the the new faces to the team, and um, and so this is always just a fun time of year. And training camp, especially, it gives fans an opportunity to get up close and and personal with the team and do it for free. And so so we always look forward to this time of year. That's Viking spokesman Jeff Anderson with reporter J.W. Cox. 
That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.